Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. Rick Thomas here with Life Over Coffee. I had a friend that wrote in and he had a block of questions that he was asking me, and I'm, I'm just going to share those questions with you and jump right in it. But it's under this big idea of when the local church won't help you. And I would imagine that many of us have been in that place where we needed help and did not receive the help. And this is where we want to guard our hearts because it is a thing, obviously. And we can say the quiet part aloud. There are times, not all churches, as I will talk about later, there are more good churches than bad churches. But every now and then there will be a church that will not be effective in its soul care practices. And my friend here who wrote in, he is doing the work of discipleship, but he knows that the more discipleship work you do, well, obviously you need help in doing it. I've described a biblical counselor sometimes working outside of the local church is like a, a man or a woman doing triage on a, on a battlefield. All you have is a black bag, and we know that you can't do that long term. That is not really a solution. We need the hospital. We need the local church. But sometimes you will find that the local church, some local churches are not effective when they do in the area of discipleship. And that's where my friend is, and that's why he's asking this question. So let me read to you what he shared, and then I'll work through. I'll respond to him. I will I will present this to you as I was talking to him. This is how I presented it to him. But he wrote in and he said, I have a question about church discipline or how you handle a lack of church discipline or involvement from the church when trying to help someone. Though I don't have a current situation, it appears that church assistance should involve counsel, instruction, and in some cases, the church's discipline to restore a brother or sister to Christ. What if this is not happening? Is there still a way to help those in need? How do you engage the church's help when the church isn't interested in following God's instruction? What if the person you are caring for knows the church isn't helping and loses heart for the church or disengages from the church. Now, there are a lot of questions there, and I want to work through them as I present my response to him to you. And I trust it will be beneficial for you because this is a thing. And let me repeat, there are more good churches than bad. There are more good pastors than not so good pastors. And, and we all need to be aware of that. But again, there will be things that will fall through the cracks, and there will be people who fall through the cracks. And once upon a time, I was one of those people. And by the way, maybe that's the good news that some of you need to hear. Even though I was in the position recognizing that the church was not able to help me by their own admission, it created a ministry, this ministry. And so God is always working, especially in the things that are unsavory or not so great in our lives. And Maybe that's the best way to start. Uh, this is not an ultimate negative situation. God is able, and I don't mean that as a bumper sticker or a t-shirt. That is a practical reality, and many of you can say yes and amen. All right, as far as these questions are concerned, first, I would reframe the discussion from a church problem to a people problem. Let me explain. Relabeling the questions makes it more personal and less abstract. To frame the discussion as a church issue can be vague enough to squirm away from personal responsibility. The church does not do this. What does that even mean? I don't know what it means. I mean, what it could do is unwisely condemn all churches when we do know there are more good ones than bad ones. Of course, when you frame the discussion as a people problem, 
then you do want to evoke Matthew 7 with the log in my eye. And so therefore, the first person that I want to address is myself. And I know that my friend is addressing the log in his eye first as he looks at this speck of a problem that he is writing, writing to me about. But sometimes we can talk about the church like it's out there somewhere as though we're not part of the problem that we're discussing. I find this odd because I've heard this many times where people would talk about the local church as though, as though they are not part of the local church. And so what you do not want to do is to begin talking about them, those, they, as though we are not part of the problem. And so personal ownership is where you do want to evoke Matthew 7, verses 3 and 5 into our frame of reference. And it will help us not to self-righteously position ourselves above the problem while looking down on some vague entity, the church, as though it's all about them or though it's about the entire church all the way around the world. Uh, because that would be unwise and is certainly unhelpful in this discussion. And then the second thing to do is to make sure that you bring effective biblical contour to the words church discipline. And I, I don't know if you heard that in the question, but he actually did that. He talked about church discipline and he talked about restoring. And that is the contiguous juxtaposition that you want. You see, this label, church discipline, was added to the Christian worldview by non-inspired people after the close of the canon to highlight the church's responsibility toward those in need of corrective care. And I do agree with the concept of discipline, but sometimes I cringe at how that is acted out in some local churches. Discipline alone in the sense that some people use that word, it is needed. But the goal of discipline is always restoration, and that's why he inserted that in those questions that he was asking me. And so a better term is probably church restoration, or maybe you could say church discipline and restoration. And what you're doing is you're bringing together Matthew 18, 15 through 17, and Galatians 6, 1 and 2. And, and both of them together aim at the heart of this concept of church restoration or church discipline restoration. The Matthew text tells you what to do to confront, and the Galatian text shows you how to do it. You restore in a spirit of gentleness, hoping to restore an erring or hurting brother or sister. And so the Galatian text brings a spirit of governance to the directive in Matthew too often people hang out in Matthew while ignoring the wisdom of Galatians. Christian discipleship without tears, biblical counseling without tears or without compassion, it's neither Christian nor discipleship. And so we want our brothers and sisters, we want to love them enough to bring corrective care, but we want to do this in a spirit of gentleness. By the way, the word restore in Galatians 6.1 is it means mending. I mean, that's what it means, because you see that in Mark 1.19. It says they were mending their nets. Same Greek word in Galatians 6.1 where it says restore. Mending adds a little more color to it. And then in Hebrews 11.3 where God created the worlds, same Greek word. And so we're creating, we're taking the word of God and speaking it into a person's life to mend or to restore them. Restore is what you see in Galatians 6.1. And so church discipline, in Matthew, it will straighten you out. 
But church restoration will put you back together again. And so you want both these things from your friends. And so all corrective care must be restorative in nature and in uh, the goal. And so Again, those two points are essential as I get into these questions. First of all, we want to bring it down to a local church, not just the church, some entity out there, they, them, those. And we also want to start with the log in our eye, as my friend is doing. And then we want to bring that color, a little, a little more HD color to this idea of church discipline by this notion of restoration. Now, of course, the implication of all the questions are, are legit. The church should be a significant player in sanctifying the body of Christ. I mean, outside of personal responsibility, my personal responsibility and yours, and our individual families, the church is the most considerable context in the New Testament for change, for growth, for maturity in Christ. Many of the New Testament letters for local churches, I mean, they were written to assemblies, to groups, to groups of people, rather than to individuals. And Paul, the chief writer of the New Testament, had a high view of the local church. He wrote to local communities with the expectation of the communities participating in the mutual sanctification of the individuals who made up each of these local assemblies. Reciprocal soul care is assumed, and it is expected. But that is the danger because, again, my, my friend finds himself in that spot. He's doing the work of discipleship, and he doesn't want to be doing triage on a battlefield with a black bag. He wants the hospital to get busy so he can come alongside and, and, and be part of this greater network of, of church discipline, restoration, soul care, discipleship, sanctification. And when it's not happening, well, what you have, I mean, honestly, it's an anomaly. A church that's not doing that is an anomaly. It's a malignant body that can't take care of itself. Think about your own physical body. If your physical body cannot heal itself, then, well, you, there's a malignancy. There's an anomaly here. And inability to do soul care, care well, it drives at the heart of these questions that my friend was asking me. What do you do when a local assembly has become mal malignant and is unwilling or unable to heal itself by taking care of its parts, by taking care of its individual members? Is there a way to help these members, he's asking? Well, of course there is. Most definitely there is. This problem is in part why our ministry does exist. We are a parachurch ministry designed to come alongside of para, come alongside the church. And we're not seeking to replace the church. We say that over and over again. And though you do not have to become a parachurch organization like ours, you can still choose to equip the body of Christ as the Lord brings hurting people across your path. You can still do one-to-one -one discipleship with any individual, regardless of the inefficiency and ineffectiveness of a local church. The local church should not control or hinder or stop you from doing soul care. However, there's a downside, and my friend is experiencing the downside, and, and I want you to see this because those of you who do the work, you know this, and those of you who are, are ready to deploy yourself to do the work of discipleship, you will experience this, and it's this. The more soul care you do, the more you will see the enormity of the problem. 
and the more you might complain. Now, my friend's not complaining. I'm not saying that, but some of us have, me. I had a lady come, uh, she uh, came into our mastermind program, and as she was, as her eyes were being open to the sufficiency of Scripture and the practicality of Scripture, she began to see the enormity of the problem, like there are so many hurting people all over the place, and she began to be overwhelmed by the problem. She, How do you do this? I mean, this problem is far bigger than I ever realized. Once you step onto the field of the Great Commission, and you're going and making disciples, uh, th- there will be just scores and scores of people uh, that you're going to see. And if you're not careful, you you can get a, a spirit of complaining. And especially if your church is not part of that, that context where these people are receiving help. Helping others has several unintended consequences that can cause adverse outcomes. Let me share with you a few of those unintended consequences and and maybe this will help many of you to modulate or, or govern down uh, your expectations, especially when the church is not helping as it could. For example, adverse outcomes, the more you do. The more you do, the more you will care. The more you do, the more you will see. The more you do, the more frustrated you may become. The more you do, the more you will, may be tempted to even force change on others and in your church. Sometimes, because of the enormity of the problem and the number of people looking looking for help, you can get into a conveyor belt mentality where you're herding cattle through a stall because there's just so much, and you can be weighted down by the process. And, of course, that is a, that is a setup for discouragement, despair, disappointment. Continuing on in that cycle, depression will, will come eventually. And so what I would do, I appeal not to perceive your growing awareness of church inefficiency as a negative, but as a mercy from the Lord. God is allowing you to come in contact with more hurting people. God is permitting you to care enough about them to try to figure out how to position yourself to where you can be most active in your local body. As you become more engaged with your local church, you will want to motivate the church to become more intentional in its care of souls. This initiative has many more layers, and I appeal to you to tread carefully because we can't go into any context where we want to see change with a frustrated heart or attitude. If your marriage is not what you want it to be and your spouse is not what you expect them to be, if, if your starting point is frustration, you will complicate that problem. You will, ca- you will compound the original problem. If the local church is not what it should be and, and you allow frustration to overcome you, then you will enter into negotiations and discussions about this problem with a frustrated attitude, and it won't go well. And so we want to guard our hearts as you engage the church to be more intentional in its soul care practices but you have to tread carefully. Thus, your starting point in this discussion must be the sovereignty of God. God's got this. God's in this. God is opening up your eyes to see things that maybe you haven't seen before. God is giving you more people to help than you ever anticipated. God is the one that's doing this. The Lord God Almighty is not sweating about this problem even though this problem is real. I'm not minimizing the problem at all, but I I do want to elevate the bigness and kindness and goodness and the sovereignty of God. 
No one can thwart his plans. He is in complete control of this issue in your church, and nothing will prevail against his plans for you and the rest of his body. God is calm, cool, and collected. Now, that is something that we used to say in the 70s, and honestly, I don't have a complete idea of what that means But whatever it means, I think we should be that way too. We should be calm, cool, and collected. And if you are fretting, grumbling, or unwisely and uncharitably weighing in on this local church problem, well, then you jumped out on the wrong foot. And you must bring your thoughts and your feet back under the care of our sovereign Lord. God is in control. And maybe that's the only thing that you need to hear right now out of all the things that I have been saying and will say. You must think about this problem from the position of faith in God, not fear of the perceived issues or ineffectiveness of the local church or that this person is not going to get the help that they need. Guard thy heart. God is at work, though he usually usually moves slower than you prefer. The second thing to think about is, is not whether the local church will change, but will we change? Will you change? Will I change? Will you encourage a friend to change? Again, these blanket statements about the church are unnecessary and unhelpful. Are you doing all that you can to make the church a better hospital for the wounded? Nobody has a right to complain about the church if they are not modeling what they want the church to become. So you have to decide what you want the church to become. And if you decide, if you, in fact, I would encourage you to make a list of what you want the church to become. And then after you make that list, what I would like for you to do is to step back and then examine yourself, assess yourself, and ask the question, am I doing the things on that list? And so that is where you should begin. When I thought about this list, when I thought about the local church and my participation in the local church and my expectations for the local church, There were seven things that popped into my mind, things that my wish list for my local church, and this is what I would encourage you to do. You can take my seven things, or you can create your own, or you can add to this list. But I wanted my local church to be a place where I can openly share my sins. Thus, the question is, am I openly sharing my sins? Number two, a place that will not judge me. Do I uncharitably judge others? Number three, a place where I can come just as I am. Do I come just as I am or am I pretentious? Number four, a place where I can take off my mask. Do I engage my church unmasked without my fig leaves on? Number five, I want my local church to be a place where I can discuss my problems. Do I lead others by sharing my problems first? Number six, I want my local church where it's a place to where the hurting receives care. Am I actively caring for the hurting? And then finally, number seven, I want my local church, it's where small friend groups are like triage units. That's where you want to do the triage, not out there on the battlefield, but in the hospital. Am I laying myself bare in or among a small group of friends? Now, I've only listed a few things necessary for authentic soul care to occur Rather than listing everything I think a church should be doing to become a discipleship community. And though this list is not exhaustive, 
you do get the idea. And so if you're not willing to be the things that you want the church to become, then, well, that is your starting place because, again, we're not talking about an abstract entity. We're talking about a church full of people. And so obviously you want to start with yourself. And so you create your list. What do you want your church to become? And then ask the question, am I being everything on that list? And then once you become everything on that list or as you are becoming everything on that list, then what you want to do is to start infecting or affecting other people. You hear people repeatedly say that there is no perfect church, and we all nod in affirmation, and then you're disappointed by someone in the church. (laughs) You're offended, or maybe the situation is dire than that, and someone sins against you in the worst way imaginable, and regrettably that does happen. One of the most significant errors a person could make when sinned against is to disengage from the local church. Now, perhaps you should leave a specific local church, but you should not leave all local churches. You should find, join, and engage a local church. When hurt, permanent disengagement, it reflects more poorly on the person who rejects God's local church than on the local church itself. And that's why it's just not a good idea to say, to talk in these broad, sweeping ways that the church is bad because it's just not true. I am not surprised when I hear about a local church doing bad things because local churches comprise evil people and I am the chief of sinners. And while I do not condone bad people practices, and my heart breaks for the name of Christ and the souls left in the shambles of a poor church people experience, it is biblically illogical for a person to withdraw from the local church altogether. I do not think I need to make an argument for this because of the high view God places on the local church in the New Testament. The logic is akin to never revisiting a hospital because you had a bad experience in a hospital. We know the logic. We know the analogy. And my desire here is not to be callous or unsympathetic. I do believe I understand the problems, especially since my ministry is more or less a satellite station set up on the periphery of local churchness to help hurting people. I engage many Christians who have wandered from or are in between or are disenchanted with their local churches. But I'm not leaving the local church because they do not do things well or according to my expectations or maybe even the way the Bible says they should, assuming that I even think I'm, I'm right. The local church is a God-ordained context for His children to do life together, and it will be that way until Jesus returns. And so some will argue, and it's probably, it's a good argument, I accept it, that I live in the southern part of the United States where there's a church building on every street corner. Now that's hyperbole. There's actually a church building on every other street corner. (laughs) We're probably more churchified than any place outside of Rome or Jerusalem. And there are other regions in our world where finding solid believers is few and far between, and I, I do understand that. A lack of local churches, however, is a problem, but it's not a showstopper. A a local church is not a white frame building with a steeple on top of it, or the building that Paul was in was a red rectangular uh, brick building with a white steeple and a cross on top of it. If it was good enough for Paul, it was good enough for me. 
No, no, actually, a local church is a body of believers. You do not need a building to make a church. What you need are two or three believers. And if that is all you have, that is where you should begin. But the main thing is you must guard your heart regarding your attitude and words when thinking about your local church. God's plan is working. Sometimes we can stare in the darkness too long. Sometimes we can participate in the zeitgeist too often. It may not be working according to how you want it to work, and I have been in that boat, but God is writing the script, and we must make ourselves comfortable with what he is writing. If you want to read what I've written here, you got a couple of options here. You can go to lifeovercoffee.com and you can look for a specific article. It's titled, When the Church Won't Help You. And you can, there's a read, watch, listen format, and so you can choose which format you want. I would encourage you to share this with 1,000 of your closest friends. But if you would like to, uh, this could be a huge benefit for you. Go over to our store in our coffee shop, and I have a book called Local Church. It has 16 chapters. This is one of them. And it talks about all things local church, and especially if your church is not doing it the right way. Maybe this could be part of the discussion. Maybe you could take this book, this digital download, and that you could share it with one friend or a small group or with your leadership or your lead pastor some other person in your local church, and you all could get together and meet and talk about, go through the content. At the end of each chapter, I have questions, and you can interact with those questions, and maybe that could be part of what God would use to help to move your church toward a more effective discipleship community if that needs, if that needs to happen. Again, this chapter is titled, When the Local Church Won't Help You. Let me ask a few questions here. Is your church a discipleship community? Now, if not, why not? We need to examine that. Sometimes we can have such a high level of Christian propriety that we just don't say, we don't say what our eyes are seeing. Now, the other ditch is we, we say it the wrong way, and so somewhere in the middle has to be wise discussions. We don't want to ignore uh, what is happening and what needs to change, and we don't want to go at it with the wrong heart. And so if your church is not a discipleship community, why not? And then what is the plan to make it better? Number two, are you a disciple-making individual? Are you honoring and submitting to the Great Commission? that you're going out and you make, you're make you making disciples. And so what is your role in helping your local church? Because again, it's not the church, it's the people in the church, and you are one of the people. And so there's no way we should be complaining about something that we are not effectively being part of the solution to the problem. Number three, do you complain about your local church? Now, if that's true, my friend's not the one who ask these questions, but if you complain about your local church, then my appeal would be for you to repent, to make a plan to change, because that can't happen. That will only make things worse. As I was illustrating earlier, is the marriage problems where there is a problem, and then a spouse complains about the problem, grumbles about the problem, or addresses the problem with a frustrated heart. We can't address problems with a frustrated heart because it will only complicate the problem making the pre-existing problem worse than it is. Number four, are you guilty of 
some of the things that are in your complaints. That's going back to that list that I gave you earlier. I want my church to be. Am I being those things? Am I becoming those things? And so it would be a good experiment to write a list of things that you would love for your church to be. And then after you examine your church and what you want them to be, hold the list up in the mirror and ask pointed questions of yourself. Am I part of the problem or am I part of the solution? Am I evolving into the very good things that I put on this list? And then finally, number five, how must you change to make your church a better discipleship community? All of us can change. And there's no cookie-cutter way of doing this, and so I want to be careful about giving you the way. It's better to say a way. What is the way for you? Uh, What way can you change in order to be a better disciple-maker? which will create a disciple-making community within your local church. I would encourage you to talk to at least one friend and that you have this conversation with them. And then the more that that happens in a, a spirit of grace and compassion with the logs in our eye, Uh, That could be very redemptive in your local church, and I'm pretty sure that your pastor will be very much open to it. I would also encourage you to think through what is happening with your pastors. As I I pastored for five years, and I, I never had a day off, even though Monday, I always had Monday off. But it never felt like that because the weight of the church doesn't leave on Monday, and so you're carrying that weight every day, every week, every month, every year that you're in pastoral ministry. And it's important to understand pastors see the burden of the church and the need of the church more than anybody else. It's very similar to this ministry that I have here. There are people that say, would you do this and can you add that and would you do the other? And many times they're great ideas. Sometimes they are already on my list. But getting to them, well, that's another story. It is hard to get to these good things that we know that we should implement because it just doesn't happen by the wave of the hand or snapping of the fingers. And so many things that you you think should be happening, I would imagine for most of you, uh, your leadership already is aware of these things, and that's where you want to come at this with a spirit of humility and, and work through problem solving in a biblical fashion. But for some, they will, they will cross that point where they become so frustrated uh, that it would be wise for them not to say anything, at least for a while, until they address that log in their eye and their hearts settle down and they have that, that spirit of gentleness that not just hovers over them, but it's also operative inside of them, and then go and have these grace-filled discussions because we're all on the same team, and then always reminding, God's got this. He's in control. Everything's okay, even though on the ground level it might not perceive that way. Uh, But God can take some of the most horrendous things and turn them into the most fabulous things. And I would just point you to the cross as an illustration of that. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.